There's just nothing funny about it anymore. There's just not. Um, I want to thank you for making the effort to be here today. I, we discussed what we would do this week if we had any, you know, bad weather, and we decided we're having church regardless because we think that everybody is just tired of cancellations, and you'll do whatever it takes to get wherever you want to be. So obviously you want to be here today, so we're really excited about being here together. Um, let me just, um, I'm struggling with my voice today. I'm going to see how long this lasts, so if all goes well, you'll get about 20 minutes of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then Garth will sing for an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Always there to help. I have a handful of announcements. First of all, we've been talking about this contact update for a few weeks now, and, and with the sporadic you know, weather stuff, it's, we, we just are going to extend this a few more weeks to make sure that we get everybody. We want every household to fill out an updated contact card so that we can get our database as current as possible. So there's a spot there basically for every member of your household. So just do one card per household and give us as much information as you're comfortable giving us and um, then and we'll protect your data. We aren't going to sell that to anybody and then we'll just put it in the basket in the lobby, okay? Um, and then my other announcements are these. March the 5th, it's a Thursday night, we're going to have a night of worship here. We did this a few months ago back in the fall uh, where we just took our regular Thursday night worship team rehearsal night and decided to just have some worship and invite the church in and it's raw and it's not very well rehearsed and it's not very slickly packaged but it's just a night of meaningful worship and what we're going to do is we last time we had desserts which are great in fact they were so good we're going to do that again but what we're going to do is we're going to amen we're going to have you you bring desserts and then we're going to share obviously and then we're going to take donations for our relay for life team Okay, so that's what we're doing, and that gives you an opportunity to invite other people to come to the night of worship on a Thursday night, have a dessert, contribute to Relay for Life. So that's March the 5th. Not going to be snowing that day. Working backwards, Saturday, February 28th in the evening, we kick off our Not a Fan series with our youth group. Uh, we're doing this in collaboration with the youth ministry at Assembly of God, and we're going to start, that'll be part one, this Saturday night, 6 o'clock, right here in the queue, and we'll have the two youth groups together, and then in about a week and a half's time, we'll be meeting at assembly with the two youth groups together. Um, so we're really excited about that. Also, this Saturday in the morning, we're on the second and the fourth Sundays, this coming Sunday being a fourth Sunday, our new women's ministry, which we're calling Kindred Spirits, is going to meet at 9 o'clock. We've had a great response and great interaction through those uh, Saturday mornings. That's Saturday morning, 9 o'clock in Surge. And then tonight, yes, and then tonight, um, our youth ministry, The Sound, will meet. Their 13 to 18-year-olds will meet for their regular monthly uh, meeting at 6 o'clock, 6 to 7.30 a little bit earlier pickup time tonight, so 6 to 7.30 in the queue. I want to say thank you to all the guys and the ladies, whoever, I don't even know, whoever helped dig us out here on our property and making sure we had access to the doors and, and the roof. And uh, it's a 12,000-square-foot roof, and they cleared it. So thank you, guys, and those of you who helped and clean up uh, the leak we had over here, which we have one, we have two leaks in this building we know of. We have one that's the most persistent that really gushes, and it's right over all of our electronic stuff, right there. I don't, I, it's just, it's got 12,000 feet to pick a spot, and that's where it leaks. We've had it repaired twice. We quit repairing it because it didn't get fixed, so now we just, oh, we've repaired it all right. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, I should probably get into my teaching because... 
That's where we're going to go. Let's, uh, you know what, it's been a few weeks since we've, I'm still in the series in Mega Church, and uh, I'm not sure when we're going to be done, if ever. So uh, it's been a few weeks since we've seen this video, so I think we should dim the lights and watch this video. What is church? Is it a building? With some pews? A piano? And stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of healthcare in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children, creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. Today, the church is stronger than ever and continues to impact every corner of the world. Over 300,000 churches in America and almost 5 million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disaster. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt in the church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus. To help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. So we're uh, continuing this series today that I started back in November, and we we're calling it Mega Church. And I've got to tell you up front, this is not much of a sermon, all right? How do you like that disclaimer? So if you came in today, this is your first time here, you know, and you're all excited because you, you've come for a great sermon, uh, you get to the end and you're like, well, that wasn't much of a sermon. I'm just telling you up front, this isn't much of a sermon. And the reason it isn't is because it's kind of like the end of a sermon or approaching the end of a sermon because... Uh, I've been talking about this subject for three months now and uh, every other week, and, and this is approaching the end. So if this is your first time with us and you think, well, that wasn't really much of a sermon, I don't really get that. Well, it's not much of a sermon, and there's not a whole lot to get if you don't have the context, but it's something we want to talk about today. So what you can do is you could go online, and you could go to faithcommunityfellowship.com, and you can go to our website, it looks like that, and, and download, listen to, download, podcast all of our sermons, and you can get caught up, and you can listen to the entire series, and you can listen to Dad's teaching in between the parts of the series. And uh, so then what I'm going to say today will make a little more sense. The reason we've called this series Mega Church is not because we're a mega church. It's not because we want to be a mega church. It's because the church is a really big deal. We've been in the book of Acts. <coughs> It explains how the church launched. It's been so interesting to get feedback and email from you during this series where some of you have said, I didn't even know this story. I didn't, I've been in church all my life. I grew up going to church, and now I'm back, and I never knew the story of how the church started. So it's been great getting feedback from you. What we've said so far is, is this, that the church launched 2,000 years ago, <coughs> not, as, <coughs> sorry, not as an institution, not as a building, but as a movement. 
that about 120 people went into the streets of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and they said, God has done something unique among us right over there. Right outside those walls, right over there, a man named Jesus was crucified. And right over here, outside these walls, he rose from the dead, and we have seen him. We didn't just hear about it. We didn't just read about it. It wasn't something someone told us about. This didn't happen 100 years ago. This happened like two months ago, and we are witnesses. And these people flooded the streets, and the Jews in Jerusalem listened to their message and embraced it. And within a few weeks, thousands of Jewish people in the, the very city where these events took place, um, within the time frame you know, in which the events took place, they embraced the idea that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the promised Messiah, that he was the Son of the living God. In fact, that's the statement they camped out on, that he is the Son of God and that he's risen from the dead. And then people from outside Jerusalem began to flood Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, what began as a simple message became a movement. And this movement disrupted the fragile balance of power in Jerusalem between Roman power and those that ran the temple, the Jews. And they came together and they began to persecute the followers of what they were calling the way. They weren't called Christians then. It wasn't called Christianity then. It was a sect. It was kind of a knockoff. It was a spinoff. It was like a cult connected to Judaism. And the Jewish leaders didn't want to have anything to do with that. So they began to persecute the followers of the way. And the number one persecutor was a man named, anybody know? Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He began to organize sort of an official inquisition to find these followers of the way, to bring them to Jerusalem, to have them imprisoned, to have them punished, and in some cases have them put to death. <coughs> and as he did this, right in the middle of this story, he becomes a follower of the very Jesus that he didn't believe in the very cult that he was trying to put out of business. <coughs> and we know him as the Apostle Paul. He becomes the number one spokesperson for this new thing that eventually would become known as the church. Then we, as we continue the story, he began to travel around uh, outside of Judea and share with the Romans and Greek-speaking people that God had done something unique. And even though the Romans and the Greeks had a pantheon of gods, he would say to them that in spite of what you've always believed, the one true living God has done something unique in your midst. He has sent his son to address the problem that Zeus couldn't address, the problem that Jupiter couldn't address, the problem that all of your gods couldn't address. God has sent his son into this world to address your sin, your failure, and the fact that you've broken his law. And he sent his son to die for your sin. And now the Gentiles began to embrace this sort of Jewish knockoff sect, this cult thing called the Way, which would eventually be called Christianity, which would eventually become the church. That's how the whole thing started. And it just began to kind of continue to roll out and roll up to different parts of the world. And suddenly people from all different nationalities all over the known Roman world began to embrace Jesus as their Savior. And time went on, and, and, and as you know, because of your college history classes or some things you heard in high school, there were some very dark days in the church, weren't there? There was the whole section of the Middle Ages. Some horrible things were done in the name of Jesus. The Crusades were launched in the name of Jesus. The Spanish Inquisition was launched in the name of Jesus. Some very high-profile, tragic things happened as a part of the church some leadership that went awry, some theology that went really bad, to where people felt like they could even buy their way into heaven, they could live however they want, they could do what they could sin, all the, they, they didn't even have to really believe anything as long as they could have, cough up some money and buy their way into heaven. There were some very, very, very dark days in the story of the church. 
But in spite of all these high-profile, notorious stories, in spite of all that, there has always been a group of people that got it, thankfully. There's always been a group of people that understood this is a mission, this is a movement. <coughs> it's not about a building. It's not about a liturgy. It's not about a style. It's not about a tradition. It's not about any of that. It's about the simple idea that transformed Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, that God has done something unique in our midst. He sent his son as a payment for our sin, and he's raised him from the dead. Since that time, so many incredible things have happened in the name of Jesus, like we saw in that video. I mean, hospitals have been built all over the world in the name of Jesus. Millions of people have been fed and provided clean water in the name of Jesus. Millions of people have been housed and given homes in the name of Jesus. Hundreds of thousands, millions of children have been sent to school in the name of Jesus. Slavery was done away with in England in the name of Jesus and consequently fueled the abolition movement here in this country that eventually did away with slavery. The church leaders in many cases, especially in England and even the United States, were behind doing away with that awful blight on our society and our story. Missionaries have risked their lives and given their lives in order to take this incredible message, the pure message of the gospel, without all the churchiness, with all the stuff that polluted the message, just the raw message of the gospel to people all over the world. So today, as we gather, there are people gathering all over the world in the name of Jesus. This movement continues to move in spite of the formality of some churches, in spite of the fact that so many churches have become very insider-oriented, there's always a group of people that understands that this is transcultural, <coughs> this is transgenerational, it's for all nations, it's for all people. There's always been a group of people that has embraced that and made sure that it was handed off to the next generation and handed off in a way that it would continue to be handed off generation after generation after generation. And that brings us to today. That brings us to us. Because now it's our turn. There's a sense in which <coughs> our city and our communities um, that God has handed us or the previous generation has handed us the baton, even right here. Nearly 18 years ago, we looked around the city of Ellsworth and realized that there were a lot of solid churches. But there were not a lot of great churches that were designed for unchurched people. I guess it depended on how you wanted to define church. <coughs> so we decided that what James said, that we studied a few weeks ago, remember, in the book of Acts, there was a big controversy over who the church should be for. Um, is the church for church people or is the church for unchurched people? You know, is the church for people who can follow the rules is it, or is it for people who just need to know the forgiveness of God? They had this big discussion and a big powwow in the first church business meeting. And James, the brother of Jesus, stood up in that first church meeting. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Here's how he concluded his message. He said this in Acts 15. He said, It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, he said, let's not complicate it. Let's not make it too formal. Let's keep it simple. Let's make it as easy as possible. Let's make sure the bottom rungs are on the ladder. Let's make sure the cookies are on the lowest shelf. Let's make it as easy as possible for the people who are turning to God to understand that God has done something unique and powerful in our midst. So in 1997, we decided that we were going to create a church that unchurched people like, would love to attend. <coughs> we didn't have a clue what we were doing. But we wanted a church without all the politics and all the policies. We wanted a church that wasn't all about itself. I went back this week. Well, it was more like four weeks ago. I went back and I read some of my notes from those early leadership meetings. And some of you were a part of those meetings. Here's what I wrote in the summer of 97. I wrote this. This is why I don't throw it. I, I, my hard drive just keeps getting bigger and bigger. 
because uh, I don't throw these things out. I wrote this. We have not been commissioned to build a church. Our purpose is to lead people into a growing, life-changing, value-shuffling relationship with Jesus Christ. The church is a means to an end. We've been called to make disciples, and the church is a means to that end. The church is about the lost, because the mission is not to plant a church. It's to make disciples, to bring people from unbelief to belief into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That was from Faith Community Fellowship in 1997. We were criticized a little bit, mostly by people in other churches. Uh, some people thought we were crazy, and they, we, we determined later they were actually a little bit right. But some people didn't like our theology. That's fine. Some people thought it was irrelevant and sacrilegious to have church in a tennis court and, and have children's ministry in a bar. That may not have been real wise. Some people couldn't understand how if we weren't part of a denomination and then who gave us the authority. Someone asked us that. How do you just go out and start a church then? And, and of course, aren't there enough churches in Ellsworth already? Oh, a lot of them legitimate questions. There was a group of you, though, in the very beginning, and some of them were no longer with us, and we decided that we don't really care what church people say. Church people are not our market. We decided that to reach people that nobody else is reaching, we would need to do some things in ways that nobody else is doing them. And for those of you who are here, or maybe not here, not here, obviously, we were somewhere else, wherever we happened to be meeting that week, uh, we just didn't care, really. Because when you read the book of Acts, and you, you, the reason the message of Jesus survived the first century... The reason the message of Jesus escaped the first century, the reason it survived the destruction of the temple, the reason it survived the destruction of the Roman Empire, is because there was a group of people that was so extraordinarily bold, here it is, that word again, and so extraordinarily confident that they were willing to say things and do things in ways that had never been said or done before. They just didn't back down. They just wanted to be part of that group. They, we, we wanted to be a part of that. We wanted to be part of that movement that we read about in the book of Acts. We wanted to be a part of the extension of what happened 2,000 years ago when the local church began. So we decided that if we're going to create a church that unchurched people love to attend, we would have to try some new things. We we're going to have to take some risks. We we're going to have to try some things that may fail, and we did. And we're going to have to try some things that nobody else is doing, and we're going to do away with the hierarchies, and we're going to do away with the formalities, and we're going to kill some sacred cows. What worked last year might not work this year. We were okay with that. We made biblical community a priority. It wasn't enough for us, for us to come in on Sundays and go to a church service together. We wanted to do life together. So <coughs> I'm going to get through one page of my notes without coughing, but I'm not sure when that's going to happen. Um, so we got real intentional about being involved in one another's lives. <coughs> I'm thinking about just taking a 30-second break and just coughing my lungs out and then jumping back in, or unless somebody else wants to read my notes and just see how that goes. Hold on a second. Michelle, you got it covered? Harry? No, I can't talk with stuff in my mouth. Sorry, thank you, though. Thanks. Well, you might want to move if that happens cause, or someone be ready to give me the Heimlich. So here we are, early 2015. Here we are in a church in a healthy position, dream, dreaming about what's next for us. Last time I was here, uh, three, week, three Sundays ago, we talked about uh, the next initiative. What's next for us over the next two to three years? We're realizing that we have been given a huge opportunity. Now we have to ask the question, what do we do with this opportunity? Honestly, sometimes I wish we could just coast for a while. I mean, couldn't we just coast? I mean, things are good. You know, it's, a, it's a, not a great weather day, and we've got a 
comfortable crowd here. And, you know, on a good Sunday, we fill the room, and we have some decent music, and people put money in the offering, and we pay the bills, and we reach some people, and some people get back. Things are good. Why couldn't we just coast for a while and just keep doing this? We've done some good stuff here recently. Let's just keep doing that. We've asked people to serve and give and sacrifice and get uncomfortable. Maybe we could just coast for a while now. I know the answer to that is no. I know better than to ask God for permission to do that. Here's why. And here's the thing I, I want to get, uh, I want you to get today if you don't get anything else. <coughs> because influence is a stewardship. Influence is a stewardship. And if you have influence, it's like having something in your hand. You have to decide what to do with it. We've all seen people leverage influence in ways that they, in things that they should not leverage their influence for. But either way, influence is a stewardship. And by God's grace, and because of your hard work, and because of your generosity, and because of your being willing to try things that nobody else has done before, <coughs> we as a church have been given an awesome opportunity. <coughs> And to be good stewards, we've got to leverage it in a way that is completely God-honoring. So we're not going to rest and we're not going to coast, all right? We're not going to coast and get comfortable and just pat ourselves on the back. Our prayer as a church is, God, now that you have uniquely positioned us, now that we have all this opportunity, what do you want us to do with this? How do we leverage all these things that are good right now in our life of our church? How do we leverage that in a way so that when our time is over, <coughs> when we hand, hand the baton of the local church to the next generation, that the local church is in far better shape than when it was handed to us? <coughs> How do we take advantage of this unique opportunity? How do we be good stewards of what God has allowed us to steward as church leaders? So, we're going to keep asking you to do things that you've maybe never done before. We're going to keep instilling into the hearts of a generation of children that their love for God is to carry them beyond school and church with their parents. We're going to do everything we can to help raise up a generation of teenagers that, that when they graduate from high school and they go off to college, they actually look for a local church not only to worship in but to serve in. We're going to keep investing in marriages. We're going to keep investing in relationships. And we're going to keep investing in individuals. We're going to keep doing everything that we've done before. And we're going to do it even better because we have more opportunity than we've ever had before. This is not a me thing. This is a we thing. And as we move into this next part of our time together as a church and our responsibility and opportunity as a church, we need this to be an all skate. Okay? We all need for this to be an all skate because we all, again, if you could spend, if you could spend a week in my shoes and you could could see what I see and could see you the way I see you. Do you ever think about that like as a parent? You know, you know, as a parent, you're always looking at your kids boy, going, you know, boy, if you could see you the way I see you, all the potential you have. Well, if you could see you the way I see you, I'm telling you, you would be so ex <coughs> extraordinarily excited about what we could do together to make a difference in our community. But for us to do that, everybody needs to be involved at some level. Well, at the beginning of the series, I talked about the boldness of the early church, and um, I asked you to pray about being bold. And you remember a few Sundays ago, back this was several weeks ago, if you were here, you remember, because it was so uncomfortable. It was a little uncomfortable, right, because I asked you to stand, and we prayed out loud. 
all at the same time. We prayed a prayer, something like the, like the church prayed in Acts 4. God, help us to be bold. Exhibit your power among us in such a way that we would be bold. That was the prayer of the first century church, the first prayer of the first century church. And if ever there was a time in the life of our church that we need to be bold and take risks, I think it's now. So, we need you to do some things. Maybe we need you to do some things at a level you've never done them before. I'm going to sit down just because we'll feel better. Um, for those of you who've been on the periphery and you've been enjoying the show, <clears throat> that's fine. You know, a lot of times when people first come to us, we ask you just kind of sit in. Just, just soak it in. Just sit back. If, if you need healing, let the church family minister healing to you. If you need uh, some clarity on what your place is, just sit. Just sit and take it in. That's fine. <clears throat> but if you've been on the periphery so long and you've just been enjoying the show to the point where you got your parking lot, your parking space all picked out, you know where you're going to sit when you come in. You don't even look anywhere else. You just come to your seat. And you've figured out when the last song is playing so you can get your jacket on before the song ends and head to the door before Pastor Bob gets there. <laughs> there are other exits, you know. We're not telling you where they are. And you beat all the other. You get out of the parking lot first. You beat all the other church people to lunch. You know, you got it all worked out. I just want to warn you. Just want to warn you, okay? And, you know, the whole church isn't here today, so you can feel free to pass this on. We're about to take this whole thing to a whole other level. And we need you to be involved. Because we believe, we really believe that everybody spends eternity somewhere, forever. We really believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. We really believe the church isn't about a building. It isn't about a brand. It's not an institution. It's not a sign on a road or on a building. It's not programming and staff. It's a movement. And we need you to move with us. If you're not willing to move with us, you're, you're perfectly content on the periphery, and you're not willing to bring something to the table for the sake of the, those unchurched family members that you have, and those unchurched friends and coworkers and neighbors... <clears throat> if you're just going to be really stubborn about that, I just want to make a recommendation to you. I've said this before, and I've offended people, but it doesn't, I don't learn my lesson easily. I just want to say, if that's you, feel free to check out some other churches. Because we're going to do church as we move forward with the unchurched in mind. You may not get all your spiritual needs met in this place. I've never figured out how that's the church's responsibility. But we're going to do church with the unchurched in mind. We want to partner with you to reach the people in your life that you care about, that you lay in bed at night thinking about their eternity. We want to partner with you in reaching those people. And if that doesn't excite you and you'd rather just be a part of kind of like a country club kind of church, um, you can check out some other churches. You can even listen to our sermons online because you'll miss them so much. But you can listen to them online. Oh, and you can give online too. You just never have to come and take a seat that maybe some unchurched person needs to sit in. I'm being a little facetious. You know that. But um, this, is, this, is, this is the thing. This is the opportunity that we have as a healthy, vision-oriented, mission-driven church in Down East Maine in 2015. We can't miss this. It may not come around again. This isn't because we're special. It's not because we're better. It's not because we're smarter. It's not because we're cooler. The question is, 
are we going to be good stewards or are we just going to be content? So here's what we need you to do. Here's the crux of the message. We need you to be bold. We need all of us to be bold in at least four areas. I'm going to give you four areas where we need to be bold. Number one, we need you to be bold in your invitations. Be bold in your invitations. <clears throat> you know what I mean by that? I mean that there are people that you've thought about inviting to church and still haven't done it. It's time to ramp up your boldness. And, and I'll, 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 tell you, I'll tell you why. It's not so we can be bigger, so we can fill all the seats. Because <coughs> we have critical mass. We, we can survive and thrive. We can do what, you know, some of the things that are cool for churches to do um, with what we have. Maybe, just maybe it's because you need to experience our church through the eyes and ears of a person who's far from God and doesn't go to church. <clears throat> We need, you, we need you to do that because <clears throat> if at least once a year, at least once a year, you experience this through the eyes and ears of someone who doesn't attend church, doesn't consider themselves a church person, who's far from God, um, then you'll help us evaluate ourselves as a church, um, as a church that's attractive to our church people. So, but if we quit inviting, if it just becomes the church people, then we will slowly, over time, turn and become a very, very insider-oriented congregation. <clears throat> and no longer, no matter how big we ever become, if we're just full of church people, we are no longer on mission. So we need you to be bold inviters. We need you to take risks in your invitations. And you know what? We, you need that because it'll grow your faith. I think we wait for faith big enough to be bold when what we need to do is just be bold and watch our faith grow. Never heard myself say that before, and I think that's even true. I think when you are act boldly, it stretches your faith. There are people who are not in this room this morning who aren't giving any thought to this being a Sunday and possibly being in church. They aren't giving any thought to that. But there are people who someday you'll have the joy of seeing them pass through the waters of baptism as they begin to follow Jesus, and they may mention your name. But whether they mention your name or not, you're going to have tears in your eyes of what God used you to be a part of. Did you get goosebumps right there? I did. And we as a church, listen, it's never been easier for you. Because we as a church, as your pastors, we're going to partner with you in the process. <clears throat> from the very beginning of this church in the uh, late 90s, we said that our, our whole outreach strategy was invest and invite. It's not original. We stole that from somebody, and, uh, but it's so good that they, I'm sure, wouldn't mind. Invest and invite. And we use the terminology a lot, and we just haven't used the terminology in a long time. But we're going to bring it back because I just love it, and I think it really works. And No need to reinvent the wheel. I'm going to talk more about this idea in a couple weeks. We mentioned it three weeks ago when we introduced the next initiative. Um, but basically, you invest in the lives of people around you that you love, that you play golf with, that you work out with, that you work with, that you hang, whatever. And then when it's appropriate, you invite them into the right church environment. It may be a Sunday morning. Most likely in our church, it's going to be a Sunday morning. Where we as your pastors will take responsibility for starting the conversation in terms of their relationship with God. So for some of you, we need you to be a little bit bolder. We need you to be bold in terms of your invitations not simply for the sake of the person that you are inviting, 
but so that we as a congregation, on a personal level, at the individual level, stay on task with what God has called us to do. So be bold in your invitation. Second, we need you to be bold in your volunteering. Um, we've crunched some numbers. We have over 60% of our congregation serving on a volunteer team somewhere in our church ministry. That's awesome. Amen. That is awesome. Just about every pastor I know would love to have a number like that. More likely, it's in the 20%. We're at 60 plus. And that's not to say that if your name's not on a printed schedule somewhere that you don't do ministry in your life. I know, I understand that. But I want everybody to understand that we need full involvement to make what we do as a church and programming level make it happen. Um, There are a few of you who've been sitting on the sidelines. And again, you know, you've you've got your routine worked out. Everybody serves you and they serve (coughs) your kids and they serve your teenagers and they make sure you get parked and that the lights are on, the heat is on, the sound is working because they serve you because you're busy. I understand this. But do you understand that every single Sunday you are served by at least 30 very busy people? It takes 30 people, volunteers, to do what we do on a Sunday. And they're busy people. So if you've been sitting on the sidelines, um, we need you to get off the sidelines. Just get in the volunteer game. That's all. Um, We need you to be bold in your volunteering which means you may need to consider volunteering in an area where you never considered volunteering before. I know it sounds like a TV show. But that's what we need you to do, to volunteer where you've never volunteered before. Go places where you've never considered going before. <clears throat> if, you're, if we need help in children's ministry and you're not a kid person, in the past I've said, well, maybe we don't want you there. I've changed my mind on that. If we need help in our children's ministries and you're not a kid person, you need to ask God to change your heart and make you into a kid person. I've experienced this myself. I took a job in 98 at the, at the Y, and I was, asked, I was approached about taking this job to work with elementary kids. And the, um, Ben was like uh, five at the time, so this age group wasn't, was actually older than him. And I'd just come off working with teenagers full-time for seven years. And I'm like, what? Uh, no, not elementary kids, not this guy. No, thank you. They said, well, would you at least please come, just come observe and let us know what you think. So I observed, and six years later, I left. And uh, God turned me into a kid person. And um, I just want you to consider volunteering in areas you've never volunteered before. Because when, when you do that, God will use that experience to change you. And it'll stretch your faith. So I, I just think... Uh, most of the time we have some help wanted forms in the back. I honestly don't know if they're there or not in the lobby. Um, but if they're there, you just pick something, pick everything, or just say, you know, wherever you need me, let me know. Um, I guarantee you're going to love it. Well, I shouldn't do that. Uh, you're gonna, I guarantee you have potential to love it, and they have an opportunity to connect with some people, to connect with some people that might become lifelong friends. Some of the people I'm closest to in my life are people that I've served in the church with. Um, that's an awesome place to make significant connections. But otherwise, we continue to multiply as a church. We need you to give back in areas that maybe uh, you've been given back to in terms of service in this church. So if you've benefited from our children's ministries, perhaps it's time for you to serve in a children's ministry. Um, so we're not going to throw you in front of a classroom full of middle schoolers and say, good luck, we'll, that. we'll see you in an hour, lock the door. Uh, you know, here's the deal. We think pretty highly of you, but we really love our kids too much to do that. 
Okay? Um, this is so important. This is huge. We don't babysit children at Faith Community Fellowship. And every time I hear that, oh, I was babysitting today, I correct it. We don't babysit children here. Our goal is to place an anchor in the heart of children that's going to go so deep that when they hit middle school, they can only drift so far. That's our goal. I don't know how successful we are, but we're trying to figure it out. And I'm so proud of the people who serve in our children's ministries. I just got to say, I'm so proud of the men who serve in our children's ministries because our men understand that they are not just taking care of children. They are eyeball to eyeball with some little boys and some little girls in some cases that don't have a man in their lives. They don't have a godly man in their lives. They understand that this is as missional as anything they could possibly do with their lives. They understand that they're going to be the person who is the first person to share some of these stories that will go with these kids, these kids for the rest of their lives. And you know, the, you know what's crazy? It hasn't been hard to get men to serve in children's ministry because the men in our congregation, so many of you get it. You understand the role and the responsibility of men in our culture and men in the church. <coughs> and I'm so, <coughs> I'm so tired of coughing. I'm so <coughs> thankful for your willingness to sit on the floor in a circle with kids and pour your lives into them, not just information, but the fact that there's a male in the room who loves little boys and those little girls. You get it. So I'm so grateful for that. So we have some incredible volunteers. For those of you who have been sitting on the fence for a while and the whole volunteering thing, enjoying the show, throwing a few bucks in the box, talking about how great our church is, but you've never taken this step before, now is the time to do that. Um, we, get, we do our serving schedules on a quarterly basis. So the end of March, we'll have new ministry team schedules. So this is a time to start thinking about where you're going to serve beginning in April. Because we have to be good stewards of this amazing opportunity that God's given us. That's number two. Number three, we need you to be bold in your giving. We don't talk a lot about money here and about giving. Let me just say something about this really clearly. We need, to be, we need you to be bold in your giving. Not because we need your money. And some of you don't give because you walk in and you look around and you're like, well, good grief, they don't need my money. Look what they have. I have some good news. <clears throat> we don't need your money. But if we're going to build a church and train leaders and engage more and more people in ministry, it's going to cost money. And if we're simply content to be a healthy church, pay the staff, pay the energy bill, we're doing fine. But if we're going to leverage this opportunity that God has given us, it's going to cost money. The great news is this. The money is in the bank. It's just in your bank. <laughs> if you are a participant in this church, or a volunteer, and you become a percentage giver, pick a percent, 5%, 3%, whatever. Just start giving it. Start giving it like New Testament Christians did in the very beginning. I love it when people visit here and they realize later, well, they never took up an offering. We've never taken up an offering. The only time we've taken up an offering was two years ago. We had the African Children's Choir here, and they asked us to take an offering. And I asked our guys to help take up an offering. And I realized that I had, like, six guys that I'd asked, only two of them had ever seen an offering even received before. So it was total chaos. But I was kind of proud of that moment. It was kind of cool. I think some people saw the bucket four times, and other people never saw it at all. But um, they didn't believe me that we, we had guys that didn't know how to take up an offering. Um, we've never taken up an offering by putting up an offering plate or a donation basket in front of someone. From the very beginning, we thought that was off-putting to unchurched people. So for nearly 18 years, you've been faithful, you've been generous to support the mission of this church. 
by dropping your tithes and your offerings in those little black boxes. <coughs> Some of you like clockwork by utilizing the P.O. box. And now for many of you, by donating regularly online. And some of you even just do a regular, it's a regular scheduled donation online. For those of you who have faithfully supported our mission with your financial generosity and your sacrifices, I just say thank you. The fourth area we need you to be bold is in your prayers. I want to tell you specifically how, something that we ought to, maybe ought to pray together. First of all, you can continue to pray, you know, thank you for the day, help us get through the vacation safe, help me to make an A on my exam, you know, you can pray all the selfish prayers and pray for all the sick people that you know. And after you're done with all the prayers that you always pray, then we need to pray some bold prayers. I'm not saying do away the prayers we always pray, but then add some bold prayers, okay? We need you to think about the person you know at work or in your neighborhood uh, or in your family who you can't even imagine walking through the door of a church. And we need you to pray for him or her every single day. Every single day, pray for that person. And pray boldly. Here's why. Because quite possibly nobody else is praying for him. Quite possibly nobody else is praying for her. Here's a crazy bold prayer to pray. This just struck me. I was reading something a few months ago, and this struck me, and I'm like, wow, this is quite an insight. <clears throat> this is a bold prayer. And I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to bold prayers and bold requests. And when we first got word that uh, Walmart was going to be vacating their building and moving to a new building, we actually sent a letter to Arkansas and asked them to donate their building to us. It's happened before. But they changed that program. So anyway, but we asked. Because we thought, hey, church and a, roller, and a skating rink. Um, so we moved into a roller skating rink instead. Oh, what am I talking about? Bold prayers. Do you realize there are billions of dollars, billions of dollars, unutilized or poorly utilized church assets in this country? There are billions of dollars in churches that are doing nothing, sitting on several million dollars worth of property and assets, and they've got 20 people attending there, and they're just spending the assets down. At some point in the life of this nation, there needs to be a huge asset transfer from all the dead, not doing anything, churches, with nobody in them. That stuff needs to be liquidated, and all that money needs to be handed off into the laps of church planters and people who are getting it done. That needs to happen. I know it sounds crazy. I never really thought about it until a few months ago. But there are thousands of churches. There are plenty of them right in this county. Plenty of them right in this county that haven't begun, even begun to think about what happens when the current generation dies off? I saw it happen in the, in the community where I live in the last couple of years. They shut the church down. Now it just sits there vacantly. It's looming sooner than most of them want to admit. I think we should pray some bold prayers. God, would you please move in the hearts of people the influence to leverage unutilized resources? Maybe even give millions of dollars to churches in this country that know how to be good stewards, that know how to reach the lost, that know how to reach the unchurched to make sure the next generation of churches is in better shape than the church was when it was handed to this generation. That's a bold prayer. I'm not suggesting you target any churches in this town and say, God, please prompt them to give us everything they have. That's not what I meant. <clears throat> For those of you who are parents or work in and around the education system, I want you to pray bold prayers. If you're a parent, grandparent, 
<coughs> or work in education. <coughs> Bold prayers. I just challenge you to pray that God would raise up the next generation of church leaders and God would you raise up the next generation of social justice reformers. I've read, even this week, criticisms of this current generation. I'm so impressed by this up-and-coming generation, frankly. God, that you would raise up the next generation of political leaders. I'm wondering if we ought to skip a generation of senior, high-profile political leaders. Let's just skip a generation. That you would raise up the next generation of artists and cultural architects from this generation of students, those middle schoolers those high school students, those college students. That this would be the generation of students that says, I get it, I'm not leaving church after high school. I get it. I want to be a follower of Jesus all the way through college. That God would do something unique in the hearts and lives of the teenagers in our city and in our church and in our families. And we are committed to that. But let's pray bold prayers in that about that. So wherever you are, whatever your life looks like, just pray some bold prayers. We have a short window of time. We are blessed. We have an opportunity. It's so unique. I can't even exaggerate how unique our opportunity is. We want to leverage it for everything we can for the sake of our community and for God's honor. At the beginning of the series, we, we started in the book of Acts. <coughs> I want to finish my time with you this morning by reading to you the final verses in the book of Acts. <coughs> the book of Acts is the story of how the church began. The story ends, and the book of Acts ends with Paul, the Apostle Paul in prison. He was arrested in Caesarea. I'm going to show you where that is. Uh, sent, uh, spent a couple of... we have that map? Yeah. Um, spent a couple of uh, years in Caesarea. Then they took him all the way up to uh, Rome, uh, which is off to your left there, on the very edge of the screen, off to the left. Um, they took him up there. Uh, he got shipwrecked. And uh, it's an incredible story in Acts 28. Again, if you think the Bible's boring, uh, you obviously haven't read it. So read Acts 28. And if you want to read that for yourself, um, just, just soak that in, get a little context too. So he gets to Rome. When he gets to Rome, he's put in prison. There's nobody there to charge him for anything. And in fact, he got there before the charges did. So I'm not quite sure how the, the, political, the, the justice system must have been something like ours, a little bit upside down. So the officials said that we're not even sure what to charge you with, but we can't let you go. So uh, they put him in a home, they chained him, they either wrist or on his ankles, one or the other, chained him to a Roman soldier in a, in a home. For two years, he sits in this home waiting for his charges to show up, because they don't even really know what to charge him for, but they've got to charge him for something. And since he claimed to be a Roman citizen, he, they couldn't let him go. So three days after he gets there, he sends word out to all the Jewish leaders in Rome to come visit him. They show up at his house. And they say, the river was he staying. And they say, the reason we're here is we've heard so many bad things about this sect, this cult, this knockoff. We know that you're the ringleader, uh, so tell us, what is this thing all about? And Paul, of course, was like, glad you asked. Paul, in chains, chained to a Roman guard, begins to preach the gospel to the Jewish leaders in Rome. And he watches their eyes, and he looks at their body language, and he realizes they're not getting it. They're not buying it. They think he's crazy. They've heard that he's crazy, now they're convinced. They think there's no way this could be true. No wonder this guy's in chains. He's a lunatic. No wonder he's under arrest. The very end of the book of Acts, Luke writes for us in the final statement, in the final message in the history of the Acts church. He writes, I want you to listen to how Paul ends his message. When I read these words, I think, how did he know? This is just a handful of people scattered around. They have no influence. They have no wealth. They have no leverage. They're up against the Jewish system. They're up against the Roman Empire. How did he know? 
Here's what he says. This is his conclusion. Acts 28, verse 28. Therefore, <coughs> I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will listen. He says to the Jewish people, God, so God has done something in your midst, and you rejected it. You rejected your Messiah, but God's not finished. Now God's going to send this message to the Gentiles, and it's like a prophecy. He says, I'm giving you guys a heads up here in Rome. The Gentiles are going to listen, and they're going to embrace it. It's going to circle the globe. And here we are. Final verse in the book, Acts 28, verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. What did he talk about when they came to show up? Here's what he talked about, verse 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Wait, Paul, wait, 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 wait. The Lord Jesus Christ, the same Lord Jesus Christ that allowed you to be arrested, shipwrecked, brought to Rome, chained to a Roman guard. I mean, you know, what has God done for you lately? No pity party, no? You know, where's God when bad things happen to good people? I'm good people. I'm a missionary. None of that, none of that from Paul. Verse 31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God, taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, with all, say it with me, boldness. With all boldness and without hindrance. We've come full circle. He was released, rearrested. Nero had him executed. The primary spokesman for the church, silenced. <laughs> but not the church. Because the church is a big deal. The church was God's idea. We've been invited to be a part of it for our generation. So let's pray bold prayers. Let's give boldly. Let's serve boldly. Let's invite boldly. Because we've been invited to be a part of this thing that God has begun. And will continue to the end of the age. Let's be good stewards of the influence and the opportunity he's given us. For weeks now when we've been doing this series, we've been playing the song. And I think you like it. I don't know. I like it. And uh, the last few weeks we've been singing it. So we're going to play... Red and Collective song, Build Your Kingdom Here. I'm going to turn up the volume, and I'd like for you to sing along with that. The lyrics will be there as we sing. Come set your rule and reign In our hearts again Increase in us, we pray, unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church, we need your power in us. Seek your kingdom first We hunger and we thirst Refuse to waste our lives For you're our joy and prize To see the captive hearts released The hurt, the sick, the poor at peace We lay down our lives for heaven's church we pray revive this earth 
Streets and land, set your church.